All right, turn in your Bibles this evening to the book of Acts, chapter number 4. Acts, chapter 4. Those were some more songs, courtesy of Ruby. There is a fountain is one of her favorites right now, and I Want That Mountain is also one of her favorites right now. So, Acts chapter number 4, and we're going to take verses 23 through 31 this evening. And think about this thought, and now, Lord, behold... And we find that in verse number 29 of our text this evening. Why don't we just go ahead and read the text and we'll get into it. It says, And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage, and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word, by stretching forth thy hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, The place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And now, Lord, behold. The first thing we'll notice this evening from the text is the report. Verse number 23, being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. So if you think back with me what had happened preceding this, of course, in chapter number 3, Peter and John, after the day of Pentecost, they had gone up to the temple together to pray. And they had come to the the gate called Beautiful at the temple. And if you remember, there was a, a man who was impotent, who was laying there at the Beautiful Gate. And it was his custom every day to be carried there and to lay there, and he would ask alms of those who came into the temple via that gate. And we were told in the text that he was a man who was over 40 years old. So he had been this way for a long time. And you'll remember that Peter and John, on their way in to pray, they had told him to look upon them. And Peter had fastened his eyes upon that man. And ultimately, he healed him in the name of Jesus. And you'll remember that that caused quite a stir in and amongst those that were gathered at the temple that day. Many of them had seen this man before. And now this man who they knew to be lame, they knew could not walk, was running around the temple, leaping and praising God. And certainly it was a sight to behold. It was something that they had never seen before. 
And so they, they wondered, and they were amazed. And they, they had gathered around Peter and John, and they were apparently wondering, and they were amazed at Peter and John. And you'll remember Peter's words there in chapter number 3, how he said, you know, why do you, you look on us this way? I'm paraphrasing. But as if by our own power or righteousness, we had made this man whole. And Peter gave the praise to Jesus. He was very clear about that. He gave the praise to Jesus Christ. And he began to preach a message to them, and some people were listening, and there was quite an uproar, and the, the guard, the captain of the guard there around the temple, and the, the priests and the Sadducees, they come being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And you'll remember that they laid hands on them and they drugged Peter and John before the council. But in the midst of all of that, 5,000 men were saved. 5,000 men came to faith in Jesus Christ. Pretty impressive. Pretty exciting if you're Peter and John. Yeah, certainly it's scary being drugged for persecution. But what an amazing thing to see 5,000 people put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ legitimately, not some kind of, oh yeah, you know, we had 5,000 people saved today at our crusade. Right. This was legitimate. This was real. These were 5,000 people who had turned from their, their religious views as Jewish people, and they had claimed Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And so they had drugged Peter and John before them, and they had threatened them. They told them under no certain or no uncertain terms there we go that's the saying definitely do not ever again speak in the name of Jesus don't do anything in his name and you'll remember Peter and John's uh, great answer to them there in verse number 19 but Peter and John answered and said unto them whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God judge ye for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. They say, you know, this is, this is not us. Take it up with God. Uh, you're telling us not to do this, but God has told us to do this. You claim to be followers of God. Uh, some of you are, are high priests or have been high priests. You're the religious rulers. Why don't you take this up with God? And Peter says there, Peter and John say, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. They say, look, we're, we're eyewitnesses of this. We've seen Jesus do these miracles. We've witnessed the transformation in our own lives. And we have heard these things that Jesus has said unto us. We're eyewitnesses. We can't hold our tongue. We have to tell others about this. So they threaten them further. Verse number 21 but finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. So apparently, even the people who weren't uh, ready to commit, they weren't ready to identify with Christ, those who would still identify with the Pharisees, even they were glorifying God. Even they were saying, you know, we're not fully ready to believe here, but God did something. Because we knew this guy. We knew that he couldn't walk, and here he is walking. Amazing. So in verse 23, they go and they give a report. They tell the others in their own company about everything that we just talked about. 
They tell them the whole story, blow by blow. They talk about how they went up into the temple. And certainly some word had probably trickled back uh, to the group by now. But they go and they present everything that had happened to them. But in the excitement of everything that has happened, it's easy for us to focus on the excitement. But put yourself in the shoes of Peter and John for a moment. Certainly there is a lot of excitement with what has just happened. The church has begun to grow explosively. But in the midst of that, it is not a light thing which has just happened to them. The religious rulers, and not just the religious rulers, but the political power in the city of Jerusalem, has just drugged them before a special council and has straightly threatened them. Very explicitly, with clear speech, they have said, do not speak in Jesus' name ever again, or else. And it's easy for you and I to come to that and to just brush it off and be like, well, yeah, you know, they were just supposed to trust God and follow him. But think about what would happen if that happened to us. We show up for church on Sunday morning, and there's a large crowd of people here. And I preach a gospel message to them, and just as I'm finishing, the police show up. And they, they drag uh, me and Brother Neesmith and Brother Scotty, they drag us down to a special council, and they tell us in no uncertain terms, do you ever, ever speak to someone else in the name of Jesus Christ again? And the FBI's involved, and the U.S. government's involved in telling us, don't ever do it. Now, it's a little hard for us to even consider or even think about in the country that we live in. Uh, maybe it's not that hard for you <laughs> to picture that. But there's some weight to that. Uh, there's, in your flesh, there's some trepidation. For Peter and John, this was no small thing. There was a very real threat of death that was attached to this. In fact, very soon, James is going to die for just this, for preaching in the name of Jesus. So this is not a light thing. But in the midst of that, they go and they report what is going on. So we see that there's a report. But second of all, we'll notice their response. In verse number 24... Peter and John have just reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said unto them. They've given them all the bad news. They've given them the good news. They've given them all the bad news. They've given them all the threats that have been leveled at them. Verse 24, and when they heard that, who's the they? It's the church. It's, it's the company, their own company that they've gone and they've reported to. When they heard that, what did they do? They lifted up their voice to God with one accord. Now, I find their response instructive this evening. First of all, let's consider what's missing from their response. I, when I put myself in their shoes, when I think about if something like this happened to me, what would be my response? And sad to say, I think my response in my flesh 
my normal response would be, oh man, let me tell others about this. Let me share this with so-and-so. Let me put out a, a social media post about this and get the word spreading around the country. Let me call a lawyer. But that's not what they did. What's missing from their response is anger. We don't find Peter and John going back to the church at Jerusalem and saying, let me tell you what just happened to us. Those dirty, rotten, no-good scoundrels down there, the high priests and the Sadducees, what a bunch of hypocrites. What a bunch of religious phonies. Can you believe what they did? No. They didn't go back and uh, talk about how evil and terrible they were. They didn't go back and yell and scream and get mad about all of this. Certainly, that would be a fleshly response. Well, what about my rights? Who do they think they are? There's, they don't have any right to say or do that to me. We don't find that. We don't find them murmuring or complaining. We don't find Peter and John going back and, oh, you know, we were just out there preaching Jesus, and they came and they threatened us. Can you believe it? This is terrible. I, I, what did we sign up for? I hate this. I don't want to do this. What's wrong with them anyway? We don't find them coming back with a, a poor attitude, murmuring and complaining about their lot in life. We also, I mentioned hiring a lawyer. We don't find them hiring a lawyer. I don't know who they would have hired in their day and age. They would have phoned a friend, hired somebody who used to be a Pharisee or tried to get a different religious sect involved. We don't find them petitioning other men. We don't find them going to the Roman government and trying to sort out this situation. Certainly the Roman government was the ones who were in power, but we don't find them going to them. Some of the disciples, some of the apostles, had been a tax collector, right? Matthew was a tax collector. He probably had some connections. Zacchaeus, right? He was probably in the church at Jerusalem. Uh, he probably had some connections from his day as a tax collector. They probably could have called up some people that they knew to put some pressure to relieve some of this, but we don't find them doing that. We don't find them scheming. We don't find them trying to come up with some uh, plan. We don't find them rolling a whiteboard out into the middle of the assembly. All right, guys, let's brainstorm. How are we going to get around this? Well, if we go to the temple at this hour, there'll be less Pharisees there, and we can... We can get around it, or we can go over here and we can hide. Uh, we can gather here and we can do it this way. No, we don't find them doing that. Ultimately, we could sum it up this way. We don't find them focusing just on themselves. Getting their eyes on them, turning inward, thinking about what has happened bad to them we find all those things which are all normal human responses. If we put ourselves in their shoes and we think about how we would be tempted to respond in a situation like this, it'd be tempting to turn inward. It would be tempting to clam up. It'd be tempting to get quiet, to consider the threats that are leveled against you, and to be tempted to, okay, well, you know, this is a weighty thing. Maybe we should not preach as clearly or as loudly about Jesus. Maybe we need to go to a different venue. Maybe we shouldn't go to the temple anymore. And it's not that, you know, 
considering and being wise as serpents and harmless as doves is necessarily wrong in every circumstance. But in the flesh, we're tempted to go straight to that. We see these things are missing in their response, but what is present in their response is a focus on God and prayer. Their immediate response after hearing the report is they lift up their voice to God. They begin not to cry out to one another or to cry out to other people, but they begin to cry out to God. They begin to pray. They fall on their faces and they lift up their voices. We see not only that, but we see that their response is one of unity. They're lifting up their voice in one accord. They're all unified together in this. All of the brethren in the church of Jerusalem, which is not a small number of people. (laughs) There's a seriously sizable number here. uh, Many of which just joined. Right? The larger part of the church of Jerusalem, 5,000 people, if they're present here at this moment, they just joined. They just saw all this happen. But they're lifting up their voices together in unity. And they're praying to God in one accord. Notice what they pray. And said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. So notice that first of all, they come to God in prayer and they praise him. They praise him. They say, oh, Lord, thou art God which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. And, you know, we can just skip right over that. We can blurt those words out in prayer, you know, really fast. It doesn't cost us much to say that, but they're praying seriously here. They're praying in recognition. What are they saying when they say, Lord, thou art God? They're recognizing That he's the one who's over all. He is sovereign. He is God. He's made it all. He's made the heaven. He's made the earth and the sea and all that in them is. Now, is there any part that's left out there? No. They're recognizing, God, you're the one who's over all. You've made all of this. You've made all that we see, and you've made everyone, all that in them is, right? They're recognizing his sovereignty. In other words, they're coming in humility. They're recognizing this is bigger than us. This is out of our control. We can't change this. We're a fairly sizable group now, but we're not going to be able to turn the tide of men's opinion. We're not going to be able to turn the tide of what is leveled against us. Remember, they've just seen Jesus crucified by this same crowd. Jesus, God in the flesh, didn't turn the tide. And they're recognizing, we're not big enough to handle this. But God, you are. You are God. You have created it all. They're coming to him in humility. Not only that, Verse number 25, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up 
and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. So they recognize once again that God is in control. They go back to Scripture. They quote the Psalms. They quote David. Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? Verse 27, For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. Now that's a a pretty sizable group, right? You've got Herod. He's king. You've got Pontius Pilate. He's Roman authority. You've got the Gentiles. That represents the Romans and others in the area. And you've got uh, the people of Israel, right? That's pretty much everybody. They say, look, everybody in the area... They all banded together against Jesus. They crucified him. They put him to death. But remember how they started it. Why did the heathen rage? The people imagined vain things. The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Right, because all this group of people had banded together. They thought they had the winning plan. They thought that they were big stuff. They were going to put Jesus to death. It didn't work. It looked like they won for like three days. And then, oops, they didn't win. God won. Jesus was in control in all of it. And you recognize here in the text, they point to that. Verse number 28. This whole group of people, Herod, Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles, the people of Israel, they were gathered together. Verse 28. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. So they're praying to God and they're praying in praise to him. And then they're, they're pointing out to God. They're saying, God, we recognize that the heathen raged. They imagined a vain thing. They gathered together. They thought that they were accomplishing their purposes. But in the end, they were doing what God before had determined to be done. Jesus wasn't put to death because this large group of people on earth got together and put him to death. He was put to death because way before God determined that Jesus was going to die on the cross. Sent Jesus to earth and in the course of men being men, in the course of sin taking its course, Jesus was crucified. But he wasn't crucified because that's what they wanted He was crucified because he laid down his own life. God was in control in all of it. In his foreknowledge, back in time, he looked down through the course of human history and put Jesus in just the right place to be crucified upon the cross by men. But man ultimately wasn't in control because Jesus wasn't staying dead. He wasn't staying in that tomb. He was resurrecting three days later. And he came up out of the tomb, and all that they had done, this huge group of people that had banded together, all the vain things that they had imagined, all the rage that they had, it was all vain. It was all empty. It was all pointless, because in the end, they didn't win. And so they're referencing all of this in prayer to God. Verse number 29, they're recognizing God's sovereignty. 
And in verse number 29, they come to petitioning. And this is where, we've, where I've taken the title for the message, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. So they, they point out to God their recognition that God's the one who's in control. God's made everything. God's had his hand in all of this. And they're recognizing humbly that God, you know what's going on now. You have your hand in all of this too. God wasn't somehow surprised that Peter and John had done this and they'd been drugged before the council. God was not surprised that they were being threatened and told not to preach and teach in Jesus' name. And the church at Jerusalem comes together with one accord and they pray to God in recognition that God, you're still on the throne. You're still in control. They pray, first of all, that God would hear, that he would see. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. They're asking God to tune his attention, to behold what is happening right now. God, behold their threatenings. Bend your ear. Listen to what they've said. Look and see what they have determined to do. So they petition that God would hear and see. Second of all, they petition, and this is where it really starts to get interesting. Notice the second thing that they request, verse number 29, and grant unto thy servants that you would wipe them off the face of the earth. Grant unto thy servants that you would strike them all dead with lightning and show them that they're wrong so that we can preach the gospel. Without fear. No. They don't even pray, God, would you make them realize that they're big meanies and they need to stop threatening us? Now, I'm being a little sarcastic. But, I mean, put yourself in their shoes. Would we not be tempted to pray, God, would you remove the persecution? God, would you calm things down? God, would you... Would you help them to stop viewing us in this way? No, they, they simply pray, God, would you see and hear? Would you behold their threatenings? Take notice of them, but God, grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. So they don't pray asking that God would remove the persecution. They simply pray and ask, God, would you see and hear? Would you behold their threatenings? And God, would you give us boldness, boldness that we may speak thy word. In other words, they're saying, God, we don't want to back down. They're, they're threatening us, but we don't want to listen to their threatenings. We don't want our flesh to take over. We don't want to sit back in fear and miss the opportunity that you're putting before us. God, we want to speak with boldness thy word. Third of all, they pray by stretching forth thine hand to heal. And that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. So they pray that God would reach down and heal people. That he would work miracles. That there would be signs that would prove to others that these are the people of God that these are the ones proclaiming the name of Jesus, that they are truly sent by God. This is what they're asking for. 
They're asking that God would work miracles among the people. So we see their response. We saw what was missing from their response. Their response was not a response. They didn't react to what had happened to them. They did not react in their flesh. Rather, they responded, yielded, submitted to the Holy Spirit of God. They boldly pray that God would grant them boldness to speak His word. So we see their report, we see their response, but last of all this evening, we'll notice the result. The result. Verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. So I don't know if it was a localized earthquake, if it just happened in the building that housed the church of Jerusalem, or if it happened all through Jerusalem, or if it happened all through Israel, or if it was kind of a worldwide earthquake. But regardless, the place where they were was shaken. That's kind of impressive. I've never personally been in an earthquake that was big enough that I could feel. And I'm okay with that. I, I don't really have any desire for that. I did see a map the other day uh, online that was uh, showing the hotbeds of seismic activity in the United States or possibility for seismic activity. And I noticed a big uh, red spot where Arkansas is. I didn't know that when I moved here, but apparently we're in an area that scientists believe could become a hotbed of seismic activity. So there you go. Maybe we'll feel some earthquakes. But this wasn't just the moving of the earth. This wasn't just your run-of-the-mill, everyday California earthquake, right? This was a response from God. This was God moving in in a bold and visible, a, a, a physical way. The place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. So the result was their prayer was answered. Their prayer was, God, would you grant us the boldness that we need to speak your word? God answered. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake his word with boldness. This evening, if we were to face persecution as Christians, how would you respond? How would you be tempted to respond? I think if we're to face persecution, I pray, I, I hope, that we would respond as the church in Jerusalem. But I think we have to recognize that this kind of response doesn't come from living a surface... Uh, I'm not sure what, what word is that I'm looking for there. A surface level Christianity, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. Uh, just barely squeaking by. These were people, these men, these, these women, those that were in the church of Jerusalem, there was a significant cost that was associated with them claiming the name of Jesus, identifying as one of his followers. They had to turn their back on everything that they had known. They had to put their life literally on the line. 
they would be excommunicated from the synagogue. Many of their families would have held funerals for them. They would have considered them dead. When Jesus talks in the Gospels about uh, no man can come after me without first hating his wife and his children, you know, we look at that and we kind of we balk at that, at the terms that Jesus is using. But literally for many of them, that's what their families would believe. Their families would consider them dead. They would never speak to them again. They would literally bury it, an empty casket. For us, we don't have that kind of cost associated with being followers of Christ. But even they were tempted to respond in the flesh. So may we come this evening. May we be encouraged by their response. May we be admonished by their response. May we be driven to be the followers of Christ that we ought to be. You know, this evening, it's fitting and proper for us. Though we are not experiencing persecution, I don't think we we can really claim that we're being persecuted in any real way. And maybe that's kind of a detriment in some ways. But even still this evening, we can pray as they prayed. We can petition the throne of God. We can ask God, would you grant unto us boldness to speak your word? God, would you empower us? Would you work in people's lives as we proclaim to them your word, that they would know, that they would be able to see that it's you, that it's your word? Now, I don't think God's going to physically shake the building this evening if we pray like this, as he did for them, or that he's going to give us the power to go out and heal people. No, but certainly the Holy Spirit can work in people's lives. Certainly he can get a hold of their hearts as we are faithful and we proclaim his word with boldness. The Holy Spirit can reach down in and he can shake the very core of their being with his word. Oh, if you're born again this evening, you felt that yourself. You felt as the Holy Spirit wrapped His hands around your heart and began to squeeze with conviction as He began to point out in your life, oh, that's you. We can pray, God, would you use me in that way? Would you grant me boldness to proclaim your name? Oh, no, I don't suffer any threat of persecution as they do. But God, may I not be silent. May I boldly proclaim your word. I hope that's your desire this evening.